So with prospecting, what we need to understand is that our goal is not to make a sale, it's to start a conversation. So if you think about how can we engineer a process that starts conversations, not that sets meetings, because the meetings will come after the conversations, but we need to get the prospecting funnel to actually be a funnel. Most people's prospecting funnels look like a T. They send out, you know, a thousand emails or whatever, and they get like three responses and the <laughs> funnel ends up looking like a really sharp T versus an actual funnel. We can get into whatever tactical stuff you want to get into, but that's conceptually what prospecting is. It's starting conversations with people that could raise their hand. Yep. And I'm going to hypothesize what kind of problems they may have based on the research that I'm finding. And I want to get them to take a meeting with me to get the conversation started. Hey everyone, it's Tom here. Welcome to another episode of the Selling in Asia podcast. I'm really excited today. We've got our special guest who's gonna join me in conversation. We've got Jason Bay from Blissful Prospecting. Hey Jason, great to have you here. If you wanna take your sales skills to the next level and learn how to master the entire sales process, join Soko Academy and get certified in Soko Selling. The link is in the notes. I'm excited to be here, Tom. We had a good little uh, pre-show chat, so uh, I'm uh, I'm excited to be here, man. I'm warmed up. I'm ready to go. Awesome, cool. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. I mean, you and I, we were talking for about half an hour off camera. We could probably talk for another hour off camera afterwards because I mean, we're we're both nerds when it comes to to sales and prospecting. We we just love yep. this topic. So let's just jump right in. So sure. your your company is called Blissful Prospecting. Am I right, Jason? Yeah. So. Uh, when we started, uh, the way that I got into sales was actually going door to door selling house painting services. So this is like when I was a freshman in college. Um, so I've always been kind of the, you know, prospecting, cold outreach. Yeah, that's that was my first experience in sales, right? And what I really liked about that was being able to with house painting. It was kind of interesting because it is kind of a really good metaphor for B two B prospecting, and that you get to see the houses, right? You get to see if people need it. You get to see if they have the ability to afford it. There's a lot of these like indicators. What kind of cars are in the driveway? Do they take care of their landscaping, et cetera? So uh, I, I was very, really successful at that position, became a sales manager with them through college and started a call center as their marketing director. And the way that I got into B2B prospecting was uh, we opened up a, a call center, about 20 reps there. They never really had a formalized marketing department. And I got to see what the inside sales game was like. You know, what is it like to just have a bunch of people pick up the phone and like the volume and how quickly you could get through a list and that sort of thing. And uh, when I left that company, I wanted to consult and help other, at first it was construction companies and then companies selling services. And as I started to work with more companies selling business to business, the thing with prospecting that I always heard was, well, yeah, we know we need to do more of it, but everyone on my team hates to do it. So the blissful came from, well, what's the opposite of, you know, hating and like dreading something. And when you really start to get into it, uh, I don't want to be misleading with the blissful piece and that it doesn't mean that prospecting is easy, but it can be very simple. Mm. At the end of the day, there are so many, I mean, you've been in the game for a lot, there's so many structures and methodologies around how to do good discovery or do a great demo or close or negotiate. But when it comes to prospecting, most of the training that people get at companies is like, hey, here's a list and a script. 
um, go pick up the phone and write emails and, and send them. Like it's, yep. it's not smile and science, dial, you know? <laughs> and to me, that is not a very blissful experience. It's really hard to get in the zone. It, you know, I like to use a lot of, uh, you know, just workout analogies. I mean, it's like going to the gym and trying to lose weight and you do something completely random every single time you go. There's no consistency to anything. There's no methodology behind it. That's how most people approach, you know, prospecting. They just kind of wing it, you know? Mm -hmm. So what's the opposite of that? To me, something that's blissful is, you know, I have a structure for this. I have something that's repeatable. Uh, I don't have magic words and phrases, but I understand maybe some basic psychology behind what I can say to get someone's attention, what they might care about, and they may get more about them, which actually takes the pressure off of you when you're cold calling, you know, or mm -hmm. cold emailing. So if I make it more about Tom and what his going, what is going on in his world and what his priorities are and what his problems might be, it takes the pressure off of me. So it doesn't become this really crazy intense experience. It just becomes, hey, we're gonna start conversations with people that are willing to raise their hand. Yeah, I, I love that, Jason. We're gonna yeah, push that them aside. You know? Yeah, that, that's great. So I think for, for all of our viewers and listeners, um, they're probably going to like that whole concept of blissful prospecting. I mean, prospecting mm -hmm. can be blissful. It doesn't have to be, you know, a pain in the butt. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what prospecting is, right? Like, let's just sure. really peel it down to its very core. We'll talk about what prospecting is and, and why it's so important. So why don't you just kind of lead us off there, Jason? Well, we could start with what it isn't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that people look at prospecting and selling like they're the same thing. And those are two totally, completely separate skills. One does certainly help the other, right? If you're really good at selling, that can help you a lot with the prospecting. If you're really good at prospecting, that can help you sell. But prospecting is everything up to the point of that first meeting. And there's actually, depending on how complex the sale is, there might be some prospecting after you get that first meeting going too, where you're looping in you know, your multi-threading is what we call it, right? Looping in other decision makers, champions, influencers, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So prospecting, what we need to understand is that we're not selling stuff when we prospect. We're not selling stuff. If you sell stuff when you prospect, you're gonna get thrown into people's junk folders. You're gonna be that person, we call it connect and pitch yeah, <laughs> on LinkedIn, right? How many of those do you get a day, Tom? Or <laughs> someone connects. I hate that. Hey, Tom, okay, I'd love sidebar. to connect. <laughs> sidebar, anybody out there Please do never, never send a connection request followed by here's a PDF, <laughs> right? Here's a yeah. bit.ly link. Here's a, here's a, a, a link to a website. Please do not connect and pitch. Okay. Anyway, back to you, Jason. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the equivalent and people still do this though, but it's the equivalent of hopping on the phone. Uh, hey, is this Tom? Yeah. Well, hey, my name's Jason. I'm with Blissful Prospecting. We run a sales training company. We work with some of the you know, top SaaS companies uh, like, here in North America. And we do this and we're so awesome. It's like, dude, okay, no one cares about that. Mm. Right? So a lot of prospecting, there are some new tools and widgets and things you can use, but it's really, I don't know if there's a lot conceptually that is new. You know, the internet brought about a way for us to be more strategic in the way we identify good fit opportunities, we can find those triggers and the people and all this other stuff. But you always tried to do that anyways, even if it was just through the yellow pages, you know what I mean? Yeah. So with prospecting, what we need to understand is that our goal is not to make a sale, it's to start a conversation. So if you think about how can we engineer a process that starts conversations, not that sets meetings, because the meetings will come after the conversations, but we need to get the prospecting funnel to actually be a funnel. Most people's prospecting funnels look like a T. They send out 
you know, a thousand emails or whatever, and they get like three responses and the <laughs> funnel ends up looking like a really sharp T versus an actual funnel. We can get into whatever tactical stuff you want to get into, but that's conceptually what prospecting is. It's starting conversations with people that could raise their hand. Yep. And I'm going to hypothesize what kind of problems they may have based on the research that I'm finding. And I want to get them to take a meeting with me to get the conversation started. Yeah, so that's that's great, Jason. And let me peel it back even further for our, for our listeners and viewers. I mean, I would even say that prospecting before we even have that conversation is about identifying who yep. who should we be talking to, right? So prospecting is about you know coming up with a list. It's identifying what's my ideal target customer, my buyer persona, my avatar. You call it whatever you want, but it's really coming up with what's my target list. Who am I going after? Maybe it's a hundred people, you know, over the course of two weeks and come up with that list. And once you've got that list, now your goal is, is to try to start a conversation with these people. And, you know, Jason, you're hundred percent right. You shouldn't be selling anything in the prospecting phase, but I might say that if you're selling anything, it's selling the importance of having a conversation with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so to kind of backtrack then with what you said, the, the identify, that's part of our you know, three-part framework. It's identify, mm. engage, convert. Mm. So identify is, you know, the targeting is so, so important because you could put the perfect email in front of someone that's, you know, the wrong job title or the wrong yep. company and it's not a good fit. So uh, we have a framework, it's called the perfect fit identifier. And the way that most people go identifying companies is they do two things. They, is the company a good fit and is the person a good fit? So company-wise, what they're looking for is like industry, employee account. Um, yeah, they might look at uh, department like headcount. Mm. They might look for certain uh, niches within an industry. So if it's SaaS, maybe it's B2B SaaS and the transaction size is uh, enterprise, 100K plus, et cetera. And that's a really great start. Mm. But there's a third part that's, I think, even more important because if you don't have this third part, you're going to be talking to people that don't really care. So the equivalent that I experienced with house painting is I could go to a neighborhood where 10 out of 10 houses need painting, but that's probably a sign that people don't really care about what their house looks like if every single house is falling apart, right? So even if they could afford it, that doesn't mean that they value that. And that's the third part. So it's account, you know, person, and then values. Mm. So what you're going to look for is a couple, three, a couple, two or three things. I look for uh, what do these companies brag about? So what do they outwardly display on their websites, their LinkedIn's? What, what do these people on the companies brag about? Uh, content, what do they educate their customers about? And then money, where are they investing? So are they opening up new offices, closing offices? Are they spending more in digital? You know, publicly traded companies have these you know, quarterly reports that get transcribed. What, what are they focused on in investing you know, money in? Those are the three things that you really want to look at. Hey, my last six months of customers, mm. what were some of the patterns I saw and what they value? And if you could prospect based on values, you're going to get the meetings from people that don't have like a hair on fire pain right now. Because statistically, maybe one or three out of every hundred companies you talk to is going to have a pain that they actually know of. And they know that you know, sales training in this case is a way that they could fix it. There's a huge opportunity of people that are in the market for something that if you try to prospect too much on pain, they're not going to want to take a meeting. If you talk more about what you have in, uh, in common around what you value, 
and how you can help them get more of what they value, you're going to get more of those meetings that require a little bit more selling, but you're going to get a chance to do some discovery and help educate them a little bit mm. on their problems, pain points, whatever those types of things that they might not be aware of. Yeah, so that's interesting. So I think for, for our, our viewers and listeners out there, it's really looking at you know three things around prospecting. Number one, you've got to identify uh, a good fit. And there's kind of three parts to that is what you're saying. Am I right, Jason? Part one is kind of the, the, the company profile or the, the firmographics, for lack of a better term. The second might be the actual you know, persona of that individual that you're dealing with there. Is it the right role, the right you know, job description, position, tenure, that whole thing? And then yep. that third piece that you talk about is around uh, values, what's important to them. Um, some other people might refer to it, you know, loosely, somewhat synonymously as, you know, trigger events. Like what's going on in that company right now? What's important to them that, that might make having a conversation with you important? And I think you're absolutely right, you know, with, with starting with this, this fit, identifying the right people. Uh, my buddy Colin... Um, from predictable revenue and I, I've been on his show a couple of yep. times and, and vice versa. And we, and he talks about how it's finding the right audience right at the beginning that can really make or break a, a campaign. You know, just like you say, Jason, you could have the right script, but the wrong person and it just won't resonate. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of the puzzle too, is how do we segment? And the more that we can segment our outreach, the less work we have to do for each individual. You know, so a lot of people are like, hey, like our solution is industry agnostic. And I hate hearing that uh, as an outbound guy. Mm. Right? That's really great that your solution can apply to a lot of industries, but we don't want to prospect to someone and talk about how we're so awesome because we work with all these different companies that they don't right. really resonate with. So how do you segment? You know, you could do that based on industry, uh, persona. You can segment based on values, right? So I'll give you an example. We work with a company. Uh, essentially what they do, and they don't like being branded like this, but essentially what they'll do is help companies, uh, large consumer brands outsource customer support. Mm. So it'll be a way that they can augment like their existing customer support staff, because uh, depending on seasonality, it's a pain in the butt to hire up and train and staff people in like a call center type environment when you're doing hundreds of those types of people, then you got to do layoffs. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of pain associated with it. Mm. But what we're looking for is one, does this company care about customer service? So the, the brag about part, do they talk about how awesome their customer experience is, mm. right? And the way that we start to segment is starting to look for problems that get in the way of them delivering a good customer experience. So we'll segment based on, do they have 24 seven chat coverage or not? Or is it just during business hours? Mm. That's a whole campaign that we can run, right? Do they use chat bots instead of people? Do they not even have chat available? Uh, they even like go as far as mystery shopping the brands before they uh, reach out to them. Was the response time longer than three hours? Yeah. Right. So you have all this way that you can do all this segmentation up front so that when I go to reach out to you, Tom, I'm reaching out to a hundred other people exactly like you in your position. So the triggers, I don't like the triggers have already been identified. I've already done all that work. And then I might layer in a tiny bit extra based on what I saw on your LinkedIn profile or something yeah, specific yeah. to your company. Yeah. But I already know that you value customer experience. I already know that your chat response times are, are slow. And I know that that's problematic because you care about revenue. And the longer that you wait statistically to get back to someone, the more likely they are to tap hop and go to a competitor, right? So you can accomplish that type of segmentation up front if you do the work 
and it makes your job a heck of a lot easier in that engage phase where you're actually reaching out to people with your emails and your phone calls and your LinkedIn messages and that sort of thing. Definitely. Yeah. So that's, that's so great, Jason. So for everybody out there, step one, be sure that you identify your ideal target customer. What's their, what's their profile down to a T and what's going on for them in their business right now, before you start your out, your outreach. So that's number one was identify. What was number two on your list, Jason? So engage is your ability to start a conversation with someone. Mm. So that's a combination of messaging and sequencing. So there's kind of two parts to it. Uh, for the sequencing, I have a framework called KISS, Keep It Simple Sequencing, because people <laughs> way, they way overthink this. It's like people are looking for the magic combination of phone calls and emails and LinkedIn messages, and there really isn't a magic combination uh, out there that you can just prescribe to. That's kind of like, hey, I want to get in really good shape. What's Brad Pitt's exercise routine? I'm just going to copy that. Well, like I'm quite a bit bigger than him. I'm not as lean as him. I'm not training from movies like and you know right. what I mean so it's like there's a, a lot of nuance there so the framework is pretty simple if you follow this uh framework three weeks in a row you'll get what you need from sequencing so there's a, a few kind of fundamental things that you want to do one is it needs to be 12 to 15 touches so multi-touch is very very important uh, in marketing we used to call it the rule of seven people mm. need to see your ad even for stuff that they want to buy at least seven times it's probably more like the rule of 10 or 12 now, mm. but it's the same thing with uh, prospecting. If you can think of it like impressions, like marketing impressions, I'm repurposing the same message across. And the second part is multi-channel. Yep. So I need to use two to three channels. For me, phone and email are a given. Like LinkedIn is the optional one. And too many people are making phone optional these days. I think phone is the biggest opportunity. A lot of our, uh, I mean, I have, uh, a guy, Ethan, in our prospecting boot camps, his whole sequencing strategy is built around how can he get people on the phone, not how can he get people to respond to an email. Mm. So he's doing everything that he can to engineer the process of I'm going to call on the people who are most likely to pick up. So it needs to be multi-channel. So um, those are the two big things, and you spread it out over three weeks. Mm. So the weekly pattern is very simple. Uh, so on a Tuesday, let's say you're going to do a triple touch. So Tony Hughes wrote a book called Combo Prospecting. It's kind of based on loosely based off that. I'm going to call the person. If they don't pick up, I'm going to leave a voicemail. I'm going to say, hey, Tom, I'm about to send you an email. And da-da-da-da-da is the subject line. Right? And then I send the email. And then I maybe visit their LinkedIn profile or send a connection request. I'm going to do all those activities at once. And then the second part of the sequence, so let's say a Thursday. So you want to have these one business day apart, two business days apart is a phone call and then a follow-up email that's a reply to that first one that says any thoughts and you're going to follow that same pattern every single week each week is going to focus on a different problem so if i'm using that customer support example earlier one week is just going to focus on if you don't have 24 7 coverage here's why that's a problem if you don't have chat week number two here's mm. why that's a problem if you're not getting back to people fast enough here's why that's a problem and why you should care about week three so follow that same pattern three weeks in a row. And what you'll figure out is that, yeah, you're sending six emails in that sequence, but you really only need like longer form content for like three and everything is based around that email. So your phone call, your voicemail, like you don't have to come up with something new every time you reach out to the person, try right, to repurpose exactly. as much of it as possible. Right, right. So tell so so tell us and and I I I agree and 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 follow something similar 
Uh, in fact, my cadence is two weeks instead of three, and and uh, but fewer fewer touches within that period of time. But just a, a tighter cadence. But at the end of the day, it, it probably doesn't make a huge difference. But I'm I'm curious about your thoughts around uh, the, the the well. So why three weeks? Yeah, the three weeks is based on. So sales loft outreach, all the sales engagement platforms kind of put out a bunch of generalized data, right? So one of the things that they talk about a lot, and I've seen a lot with our clients is spreading out the touches, at least two business days apart, 48 mm -hmm. hours apart. Yeah. Right. And then keeping the outreach primarily to the weekdays. So mm -hmm. when, when you do that, it kind of limits your options a right. little bit, right? In terms Especially of like how many times the touches, right? So, so how many touches in your campaign typically? It's 15. So 15. five each week. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then what they also showed is that the best performing cadences were like 30 to 45 days apart. I think that's a little too long, but there's some contextual things. Yeah. That's way too long. And, and, and I think, you know, and it's going to depend on the industry. It's also going to depend yeah. on kind of the, the product that you're selling. But what yeah. I always try to remind people is this, and, and I think you and I are on the same page here. I think shorter cadence to me, shorter cadences are better because the whole point of it is you're just trying to get someone on the phone. Like you're just trying to get someone on the phone. You're just trying to do a discovery call. You're just trying to actually see if there's an opportunity here to, 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 yep. to see if there's interest. Now, if it's going to take 30 to 45 days, um, I'm sorry, but they're just not that, that into you. <laughs> like it's just the, the interest isn't there. Um, I'd rather see people have a two or three week uh, sequence that they go through it. And at the end, they send a breakup email or phone call or LinkedIn message, and they just, you know, recycle that lead maybe in another three months and see if the timing is, it works for them then. But if someone's not responsive at all within two or three weeks, what, 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 why do we think they're going to be more responsive in another two weeks? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's contextual. It, it, it depends on a couple factors. So I think it depends on how many touches you have like in your sequence and how many different angles you're taking. Yeah. So like the three weeks is because there's usually two or three really big, you know, kind of angles that you could take. Mm. But if you're spreading it out over a month, I wouldn't recommend, like I would recommend doing another week of what I outlined. Mm. So it's like the fourth week is another five touches, you know, but again, we're starting to get into territory. Like you said, where if you just look at the stats and the math behind it, like the, uh, like if there was a chart, you know, and on the X axis, it was like time and the Y axis was response rate. You'd see something like this at the beginning, you'd have a hike in responses. Maybe the second day of the sequence, it would go down and then you'd yep. see another hike there towards the end. Yeah. But that's usually somewhere between the 10 to 15 touches mark. So anything yes. beyond that, I think you move on and like you bring up such a good point in that. You know, one of the things I have a framework called the five rights and it's like a troubleshooting framework, but one of them is like, am I reaching out to the right account? And part of that is recycle, dude. Like you need like more fresh accounts. So if someone's not engaging at that account, put it like, put it to the side and go after something new. Too many people work the same account like for an entire quarter. And I'm like, yeah. dude, what are you doing, man? There's exactly. a, especially if you have hundreds of businesses that you could reach out to or thousands. Like 100%, 100%. Or it could be the right account, but the wrong person within that account. Yeah. 
you know, so, so, you know, hop on LinkedIn, try to find the right person and put your time somewhere else. But I find so many reps, they just want to be busy doing busy work. And they're just like, Hey, yeah. you know, I, I, I've got this go-getter attitude. I never give up. I'm persistent, right? You want me to be persistent? It's like, yeah, but you've got to know when to cut your losses, you know? And something yep. I've seen, cause we, we've, we've done studies here at SoCo. We've, we've studied this and we had a three week and, and a four week cadence before and we realized that there was, you know, a certain response rate on the first message and then the second message, and then it kind of drops down. But then as we get to that um, kind of that breakup message towards the end, uh, the response rate shoots right back up. When you say, hey, I'm just checking in one last time. All of a sudden, when you're checking in one last time, people decide they want to talk to you all of a sudden. Um, yeah. But that one last time can happen in four weeks three weeks or two weeks. And we, we noticed we were still getting the same response no matter yeah. when we did it. So we said, man, well, we could shorten it from four to three to two weeks, still get the same response rate. And now we're able to actually double the amount of people we go after in a month because we shortened the whole thing from four to two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a classic example of like, dude, go with the data. Yeah. Right? What, what is the data telling you to do? Because I work with customers that sell into technical roles, uh, marketing roles, sales roles, just like all of the above. And I do see differences across different types of personas. Like the technical roles seem a little more averse mm. to picking up the phone, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and email and like LinkedIn can work really good. And sure. There's geographical, you know, kind of stuff. But you know what? Your sales engagement tool, your CRM, it's going to tell you what's working or not. Yeah. You know, so really use those reports. I mean, they'll tell you when people are most likely to open and reply to emails, when they pick up the phone the most, like you got to use the tools if you have them. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I feel like uh, not enough people are using the tools enough. They're not checking the data. They're not tracking anything. So they're just kind of mm -hmm. shooting in the dark and they're not quite sure, kind of winging it, as you said. And let's not forget yeah. WhatsApp or text messages. I mean, for, for us, um, you know, here in, here in, in, in APAC in, in Asia, in Singapore, I mean, we, we close a lot of deals just on, on, on WhatsApp. It's a great way to reach people. I've seen studies that show that the response rate by SMS is way higher than, than email yeah. or some other forms and less intrusive than, let's say, a, a phone call. Because I think a lot of people out there, especially depending on who you're selling to and what you're selling, mm -hmm. you know, cold calling probably isn't a good fit for a lot of people. Now, I know a lot of people out there are happy to hear me say that. I'm not saying that to make you feel good because a lot of people hate yeah. cold calling. I'm just saying it, it just isn't a fit for some brands and some companies and some industries. But uh, I think you really got to follow the data, as Jason says, and just kind of, you know, track what's working and do more of what's working. So you talked about in engage as being the second. So what's the third piece? Uh, so the third piece is convert. So once we <laughs> have started these conversations, how do we get people into a meeting? And typically what is involved with that is a combination of how do we uh, reply? You know, when someone emails us, how do we have a conversation with someone on a cold call, that sort of thing. Mm. And objection handling is usually a really big piece of that. So objections are usually pretty different in prospecting than in selling in the sense that most of them are not going to be real objections. They're what people refer to as shallow objections, stalls, whatever kind of nomenclature you want to use. I'm not interested. Um, we don't need this. We're good. Thanks. Exactly. We've got, so you we've got, got to got think about it. We've got it handled. Yeah. So think about the experience of, you know, going to any sort of shopping center or mall and especially with COVID now, right? When 
a salesperson walks up to you from the skincare or skin cream, you know, little kiosk that they're on, we're like automatically like pay attention to like what's going on in your head when that happens. And it's like automatic. It's automatic, not interested. You don't even know. I could have the driest skin on earth on my face and actually need this like lotion. Uh, and I would say no. Yeah. I'm just programmed to say no. Yeah. So you got to go in knowing that uh, one, it's not personal. So one, people are not rejecting you personally, and we don't have enough time today, but I have a whole framework around like minimizing call reluctance and that sort of thing. Uh, but two, uh, a really important key with objection handling is to not take away the person's autonomy. So quick story, when I was little, about three or four years old, my brother Travis and I, we'd dress up as Ninja Turtles, put swords in our backs. We'd go to the grocery store with my mom. And one of the times I kicked down a row of spaghetti jars. Nice. As you could imagine, she was pretty pissed, right? <laughs> <laughs> but what she told us, and I remember, she said, you are not allowed to bring your toys to the grocery store anymore. Mm. And what do you think that made us do, Tom? Um, I got a feeling you probably brought some toys to the grocery store. It just made us sneakier, right? <laughs> so it made us rebel. And you bring in this weird dynamic with prospects where you start to tell them what they should do or brush off an objection that they have, even if it's not a real objection, where they feel like you're starting to like control them a little bit. This is where I just am so firmly against this, like always be closing mm. type of mentality mm. where it's like you just push and you push and you push and you push. It's like, even if the person agrees to take the meeting, those people never show up and they just disappear off the face of the earth, but you can't get a hold of them anymore. So right. there's kind of a fine line between pushing and also giving the other person their autonomy. So when we objection handle the goal really, and there's a framework I have called Evo, it's empathize, uh, validate, offer. So the empathize piece is like, I really just want to call out what I think you're feeling and I wanna agree with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna make you feel bad for saying not interested. So when I call someone and, and they say not interested, what I'm thinking about is, well, why do people say not interested on a cold call? They might be busy, might've caught them in the middle of something. They might just have a lot of stuff going. They might've thought I was someone else. So I'm just going to say that, Hey, Tom, sounds like I'm at a couch in the middle of something. That's the empathize part. Validate. You know, if that's the case, I could totally tell why you know, taking a random cold call may not be a good time for you right now. And then the offer piece, then I can go into my ask, right? Uh, but Hey, I did some research on you and you looked a lot like this company, ABC, who was experiencing XYZ problem. And one of the ways we helped them was this, was I totally off and reaching out to you or would it hurt to share a little bit more, right? So the objection handling piece is like, don't disagree with the person. Agree, you wanna agree with them. When someone says, hey, we already have a solution for that. Oh, hey, sounds like you're taken care of. Like I wanna disarm them, right? And you do that through empathy and thinking about what's it like being on the receiving end of this cold call that I'm making right now? And what are they thinking? And if I can call out what they're thinking, even if I'm like moderately close and allow them to correct me, they're engaged. I have their attention. I'm doing what most salespeople do not. And that's trying to actually understand where the other person's coming from instead of just like, oh, not interested. Well, I actually heard that from another customer we were working with, like, you know, people try to use like the feel felt found thing. And it's not that that's a bad technique, but it's like, it's so canned and it's so much about me and what I want versus taking a second to acknowledge you real quick and just disarming you, getting you to the point to where you'll just listen to me for 30 seconds. Hmm. 
That's mm. what objection handling is all about. It's I call it deflating the objection. So if you imagine a balloon, we want to take air out of the balloon and deflate it. A lot of people, when they objection handle, they add air to the balloon. They try to attack it with logic, and it ends up being this contest of the prospect being like, no, I'm right, dude, and the salesperson thinking, well, no, actually, I'm right. And it's like the prospect, actually, they're the one that gets to say yes or no at the end of the day. Well, that's you're absolutely right, Jason. The reality is this, and we all know it. You could you could win the argument, yep, and lose the sale. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like, do you want to be right, or do you want to do the right thing for your customer? So I yeah. I, I love that. So um, you know, for for most of us out there, that that objective is to you know when we're when we're trying to to kind of close, we're trying to secure that call, right? We're trying to book mm -hmm. that call, book that meeting. That's the convert that you're talking about. And I feel like a lot of folks to kind of circle back to what you were talking about at the beginning, Jason, is most people see prospecting as as selling. So they're really missing out on the fact that, well, the, the whole purpose of this, this discovery call, this qualification call, you know, whatever you want to call it, th this call is designed to actually find out if, if we're a good fit, to explore and find out if there is a need there and see if we do have something that can help you. So we're trying to yep. sell the importance of that meeting and the conversion is not the convert to a sale, but convert to a, to a call. That's what you're talking about. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, you should not be talking about your product, your service, the uh, features yeah. of it, pricing. How awesome too it soon. is way too like soon. you just yeah. It's hey, we help people that tend to have these on their priority list, and then these problems sometimes get in the way of that. We we help make those go away. That that's the simple, the most simple way you could do a value prop, right? Right, and you make it more about them. It's more about how you can help them with what they're dealing with versus, yeah, we sell sales training or we have these analytics dashboards that can save you X amount of hours. And it's like, no one really cares about that unless you can like, I call it connecting the dots. Mm. Like you need to connect likely what their priorities are to, uh, and there's three questions, um, like during the sales process that you need to answer. There's kind of like three whys, right? It's like, why change? Why now? Why you? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're prospecting, it's kind of like the, it's not why change, it's why should you entertain change? Like, why should you even <laughs> like talk about doing something differently the way that you're doing it now? Yep. And then well, the why now is, well, why is this urgent enough that I need to meet with you right now? You kind of need to answer some of those questions, which none of them involve your solution. It's all about like their priorities, why they should be thinking about doing something differently. So the pain and the gain, and yep. then the why now, you know, what could they learn from you by meeting? And that's the, the last thing there is the teach don't take kind of philosophy of, hey, if you take a meeting with me, Tom, I'm going to share with you what other like really fast growing SaaS companies are doing to accelerate their outbound pipeline. Mm -hmm. You know, we could talk about XYZ. It's not about so I can demo. We don't sell a platform, but a lot of people in software, it's like, hey, I'd love to do a demo with you. Mm -hmm. Dude, no one wants a demo of your software, especially an executive. Mm. They want to know, like, how is this going to help with what they like their priorities? Yeah. like the top two or three things on their list, how is it going to help move the needle on those things? You know, you're absolutely right. I mean, one, one of our customers uh, in Hong Kong, you know, we were doing some work with them and, and they do have this type of SaaS product. And uh, before they started working with us, I realized that they were pushing for demos. Like that was, that was the thing, right? They were pushing for demos. And they ended up getting a few before I started working with them, but they weren't converting. Because what they realized was some people 
for whatever reason, will say, fine, sure. Um, you you want to pitch me? You want to show me a demo? Go for it. But they they weren't well qualified and they didn't have a need. So what, what ended up happening most of the time is they say, well, this looks interesting. <laughs> I love it. It's a great idea. Yeah. Um, you know, let me, you know, shop it around internally and we'll get back to you and let you know if there's, you know, any desire to move forward. So it was just really the wrong approach. So what, what I got them to start realizing was instead of pushing for the demo, why don't you just push for a discovery call? Just have a conversation just to even see if this is something that's they're willing to entertain, something to even think about. Because something that I've realized is the biggest competitor most of us out there are, are faced with um, is doing nothing. Yep, Your quo. biggest competitor is the status quo. Change is very difficult and people don't wanna change even if it makes sense for them to change logically. So, you know, I invite everybody to kind of do a, a win-loss analysis and take a look at all of the deals they lost, you know, maybe the last 10 deals they lost. And you might be surprised to find that you didn't lose to anyone or any company, but you just lost to uh, project canceled. Um, you know, we couldn't find budget. The timing isn't right. We had other priorities come up. We decided just to maintain what we're doing now. You'd be surprised how, how much status quo uh, comes up as your biggest competitor. Anyway, as we as we wrap up here, Jason, what what do you feel? Just to kind of sum it all up for us here. And I, I love this topic of prospecting. We could go on for hours. Um, but what do you feel is is the number one mistake sales reps are making when it comes to prospecting? I think it's this selling while prospecting. It's what we talked about. It's this this need and this urge to talk about your products and your services and what your company does. And it comes out in the cold email that starts out, hi, Tom, my name is Jason Bay. I run a company called Blissful Prospecting. And it's like the, the entire interaction is like about you. Right. The so whole first this, paragraph you, is a resume. Yeah, right? yeah. If you could adopt this mentality of you first, me second, I need to get you, Tom, what you need from this interaction first in order for you to even open up your mind to talk about like what I want, which is like, I want to do a sales call with a qualified prospect, right? Mm -hmm. So like before I get what I want, I need to show you because I'm reaching out to you. You didn't ask me to reach out to you. And I think that's something that people don't understand too. The inbound and outbound game is, they're more similar than they are different, but they are definitely different, especially mm -hmm. that first sales call people that come from outbound are much more skeptical and require more education and selling on that first interaction than someone that comes to you through an inbound request that's like been following your content for six months. Exactly. Come on, you know, it's, it's a different sale. Yeah. So if you could approach it with- And they've already identified me, a need, which is why they reached out yeah. to you, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's mm. engineer this process from the prospect's point of view. And that's how I teach this stuff too. Hey, with your cold call, the intro, the first 30 seconds, what does the prospect need from this part of the call to want to continue with the next part, the hook? So if you could think about it from the other person's perspective, that's really where you're going to be like, oh, God, I would never respond to that email or God, this sounds <laughs> terrible. But most people are so wrapped up, especially us salespeople are so wrapped up in like the perfect value prop elevator pitch you know, what we do, you know, all this other stuff that we're not even thinking about the other person. And that's the part that's much more interesting to the prospect. Mm, I love that, Jason. You know, I'm always telling my team, I'm always asking them, I say, do normal humans talk like that? 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, do normal humans <laughs> interact this way? So, yeah. you know, take off your sales hat, take off your marketer cap, and think of it yeah. from a consumer of that email, of that content. And would you hit delete or spam or junk right away? Or would you hit reply if I sent that to you? You know, so it's sort of like yeah. send that to three of your friends and see, and see what they think. So, you know, I'm a big believer in, in sales. We, we we try so hard to be interesting to prospects, but we probably have a better hit rate and win rate if we focus more on being interested in them yeah. instead. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Jason. This has just been an awesome conversation. I love this. So uh, we're going to put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out to you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great talking with you about blissful prospecting. Uh, all the best, Jason. And thanks to all of you for joining us on this episode of the Selling in Asia podcast. Thanks, everyone. Take care.